Welcome back into a new episode of Your Story. And I'm excited for you to hear from this man, Bryston Williams. And I'm excited for you to hear from this man. He's a Lafayette legend. The very first recruit Ben McCollum brought to Northwest Missouri State. A Division II assistant. A G League coach. An NBA assistant coach. And currently a Division I assistant at Indiana State. But he's more than all that. He's also about helping people get better in their lives. He wrote a book, and we'll dive into it all too. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Bryston Williams. I would say a, a downtime, but maybe it's not a downtime in college basketball for you right now. Kind of recruiting trails, kind of the big thing right now. Yeah, just trying to find names and find players that you know are skilled, have high IQ, and trying to figure out you know who best fits our roster. So there's a lot of names to go through. So it's just a lot of film and. A lot of watch, getting on huddle and watching games and, you know, see who fits best. So, and don't stop with social media, too. So, <laughs> I was going to say, how much have you noticed it change just in your relative short time? Just, you know, whatever, regardless, like G League or, you know, NBA and college basketball, just the way this all is kind of worked with huddle, social media. How much have you kind of seen this evolve just in a relatively, what, three, four, five years how yeah, fast it's changed? No yeah, I mean, well, social media just gives you, you know, it's instant access to so many people, right? And so you can put up, you can put up a post, and thousands of people and hundreds of coaches can see this thing, you know, in an instant. And so the ability to just how fast the internet is with everything and getting it out there and being seen by so many people just gives a lot of kids opportunities, you know, and I, I do think that at the, there's pros and cons that some people don't like social media and it's all negative and this and that, but I think it's a mindset too of like, this is also given exposure to a lot of kids that may not get exposure, right? You're in a small town, you're in a small city, um, play with a small school that don't get on these circuits, um, right? You can post on Twitter and Instagram and now these coaches can see you, right? They might It'd be a highlight but that's okay like at least you're being seen and if coaches do their jobs and go through these things go through uh the highlights and kind of do their due diligence you can be seen and so i think it's a very positive for the kids to be able to uh you know have that opportunity uh, with, with there's a lot of times you know you know you're saying eight years back ten years back like there wasn't that you had to be seen in person or word of mouth and now you know so i, I do think there's um, a lot of pros in it, um, but now as a coach, it makes you do, gives you a lot more work and film to go through, <laughs> but, but it's all good. And that's, that's part of our job. So. I was going to say, I mean, you never really had to go through the whole going to see kids live like 10 years ago. Cause heck you were still playing at that point. And yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make you sound older than you are. Cause you're not, you know, you're not the old by any means with this, but does that make it more challenging now that it's all, you know, coaches, everybody can see everything now. Like it's social media is there. The huddles there. Does that make it more challenging or what, what, what do you feel like that does from a recruiting coaching perspective? It, it does make it um, challenging because some of the kids that may have went unnoticed may have a great weekend um, and be seen by certain coaches at your same level or higher. And as we know, you know, that's a competition of, for a player. And so, but I, so it does make it harder in that aspect of, you know, a lot more eyes will be on him. What I do think stays the same is the ability to be able to evaluate, 
right? And this is where it's pros and cons, where there's a lot of rankings out, there's a lot of film. So a lot of coaches may just go off offers. Like, oh, this school offered. Well, they're in our, you know, they're both the mid-major school. We're mid-major. You know, we're kind of the same. Well, just because they offered, some coaches will offer without really digging deep and evaluating. And so you got to trust your eyes and understand it doesn't really matter unless it's just a high major kid or he's at a school. It's like, okay, he's good. <laughs> right. You got to make sure you do your homework and you don't take the lazy route of, oh, he's ranked number 10. And, you know, in, in the rankings or he's, you know, fifth, whatever it is. And so you got to make sure you evaluate and trust your eyes. Like, is this kid good enough? Is he not? So there's a pro and con to it. Um, it does make it difficult. If there is a kid that you like, man, I really like this kid. And another school sees them that you thought it was like, man, I thought we were going to steal this kid. Now you got to compete for him uh, to get him. And so overall, I think when you have the ability to, evaluate and you know what you're wanting for your roster um, and what best fits your roster you can kind of narrow it down to certain kids and certain style of players that that helps you kind of focus on what you really need without giving away world trade secrets or anything like that on the recruiting trail what, what do you look for kind of when when you're looking is it the high iq stuff is, is there certain things with again without you know exposing trade secrets across you know college coaches and everything either but it's tough in the aspect of you still got to have the eye for things. Um, but just for me, I've been very blessed to be at every level. I played at D2, um, coached in the G League, coached in the NBA. Now I'm at D1, a mid-major school. So, like, I've seen in my early years of coaching so many different level of players. And, and for me, it's more of the little things that people, it, unless you're really looking for it, I'm not a huge highlight guy of, like, look how high he can jump, right? Because I've seen guys that can touch the top of the backboard, but when they get in tight spaces in the half court and there's bodies around, they're not great. They don't know how to use that athleticism, right? So that right. can you decipher that? Like, man, in the open court, this dude is a, you know, windmilling between the legs twice, whatever it is. Like, but can he do that when there's bodies around, right? Right. Um, a kid being able to handle it, how well can he catch and handle this ball? Is it a smooth transition from each hand? Is it, um, does he kind of have like tough hands where you don't, his hands aren't great with feel. Um, and, and you can, you, again, that's the thing with the eye test. There isn't just a, where the average person can look at it. Like you have to really be focused on, it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can go on, everybody can go on a gym and see who can shoot the best. Usually, you know, if a kid's in, if we all go in a gym and it's like, this guy makes, you know, 48 out of 53, it's like, oh, that kid can shoot, right? Right. Um, now, can he create space with players on him? Okay, he can shoot it open, but can, does he get it off quick? Can he create a space? Um, and so is his footwork right? Like, and so there's other aspects to it than just the quotations highlight thing that everybody can see. And so for me, that's what it is, is really focusing when you, when I go to these events and, and, and we're watching live of focus on the game and focus on the kids of, you know, how skilled are they? Do they, do they move well with others? Do they play well with others? And I ain't saying you got to be a lead at it. Cause if you're doing all these things at the highest level, you're probably going to be a high major kid or Duke and Kentucky's going to get you. Right. So I got to see those kids that are on the border of like, they show me signs, but then I can trust my development 
to make them become a power five kid, right? And so now that's the fine line of like, okay, he has flaws because if he's perfect, we can't compete with, you know, Indiana. We can't compete with Marquette. And so that it is what it is. So I got to yeah. find those guys that are fringe guys. It's like, man, there's something to him that I really like, but he has flaws. Well, now that's my job as a coach to um, getting to the next level and trust my development. And so it's more just paying attention and, and really focusing on what other strengths and weaknesses and how do they impact the game. Is, is that one of your favorite parts about it is this, you take that kid that's got something there and trying to get that out of him instead of, you know, having a kid, like you said, come in with a lot of stuff already right. But you find that kid there, like, I can do something. I can help this kid get a lot better. Is that one of your favorite parts to it? Oh, I love it because it, it, it as a coach, I think that's one of the most challenging things is how can I make this kid better? Right. Like he has good things like and maybe your first instinct of what you think in his development and what he needs it don't work or he's not picking it up as fast or he's like just not comprehending okay take it from individual uh individual workout to live play well now as a coach i gotta figure out okay how else can we learn this how else can i get this message across maybe it's getting on a whiteboard and drawing stuff up and having him read things and maybe it's watching a lot of film um maybe of himself Maybe breaking down if it's a point guard, an NBA point guard that I really like that, you know, a certain point guard that does something really well. I'm like, hey, watch this. And I'll send him, you know, 15 clips to watch of this someone in the NBA making that move or making um, the same read that I'm trying to get this kid to figure out. And so that's the fun part. That's the puzzle of how do they learn and how can we get this thing uh, to, to really take off from a developmental uh, aspect. All right. Now I want to dive into uh, your career trajectory, which has been impressive to kind of watch from afar after watching you play at Northwest, everything. It, it's just impressive in itself. Like you said, you know, G league, NBA division one assistant through there. Just <laughs> you ever just kind of sit back and say, I've done, I've been blessed with a lot of stuff pretty early in my coaching career too. Yeah, I mean, I, I really am, and I never take it all for granted. And trust me, there are times that, you know, I'm always kind of in the moment um, thinking of, you know, be the best at what I'm, whatever my job title is, right? A lot of people ask me, like, well, do you want to be a head coach? Do you want to be in, back in the NBA? Like, I've always been a, a guy that is like, wherever I'm at, I'm going to be the best at that role. And whatever, wherever that takes me, it takes me. But I'm happy in my role. I'm happy at what I'm doing. And I don't care, you know, if I'm a GA at Northwest Missouri State, my goal is to be the best GA I can possibly be um, and, and impact people as much as possible, right? And then that opened up an opportunity that I didn't think I was going to come so early with the G League. And, you know, I take that. It's like, oh, wow, G League, I want to be in a professional game, you know, and I'm at the, in the professional game at 25 years old. Um, and then again, it wasn't about like, oh, I'm trying to make this NBA roster. I'm trying to be an NBA head coach. No, I was trying to be the best G League assistant as possible. Like guys, if they wanted to get in the gym at 10 o'clock at night, 6 a.m., it didn't matter. Yes, I got you. And in the G League, we were short, short staff. So I had to do laundry. I had to, you know, take the floor because we worked out a, uh, like a rec center that didn't have the NBA line. So I had to tape that. I'm running drills. Um, I'm working on guys afterwards. I'm breaking down film. There's a lot of aspects in that 
in the G League that, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to do. Um, you know, they think like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do laundry. I want to be a coach, right? And I don't want to take this guy to the store every day, you know? And so I just embraced it. And so for me, it was just really like wherever I'm at is I try to give 100% because I think a lot of coaches, like, they're always looking for the next job, right? Like, oh, what job's going to open? What job's going to do this? What job's like, okay, who's taking that? Do I know somebody? Well, now 30% of your focus is on these jobs. And now I'm shortchanging our players here. So, you know, people are like, you want to go back to the NBA? Do you want to go power five? If that opportunity came up, I would see what the opportunity is. And if that's a great fit and I talked with coach and, then we'll yeah. see. But for right now, I'm an Indiana State assistant coach. And that's how I kind of view it. But, man, I've been very, very blessed and grateful also to have unbelievable coaches um, that I've worked for and under me to, to keep pushing me and develop, developing me. Where does that mindset come from of, like you said, being the moment, not looking ahead and trying to figure out where your next spot could be? Is that always something you've always kind of had since, you know, Lafayette days, Northwest and stuff like that? Or is that something that you've kind of grown into too as, you know, gotten older and kind of got into coaching too? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of my stuff, my mentality, um, probably about as a GA Northwest is when I really started taking off with a new mentality of, it, it kind of started off and this will kind of lead into our stuff later, but it, it started off as I've always been like a motivational guy. I loved motivational. Les Brown, Eric Thomas, um, Zig Ziglar and Bob Proctor and these guys that really just motivate. So I always listened to them as I was like doing work and watching film, like, you know, how people play music in the background and I, uh, podcasts and stuff. Like my thing was motivational things, run, uh, videos running in the background. And so it was funny because I always felt myself, if I'm back in the office late at night, you know, it's midnight, one in the morning. And next thing you know, I'm starting to, my work kind of slows down and I start watching these motivational videos, taking notes. Next thing you know, I'm taking notes on this and I'm writing down what they're saying. And you know how kind of YouTube is, you start clicking and watching right. videos and it leads you to another one. And, that, and, and so over time, the motivational videos turned into watching kind of interviews of people, which turned into books that they used to read. And now it's like, oh, wow, he read this book. I respect his mindset. I like where he's at. So now I started reading the book and right in the book, The Secret of the Law of Attraction, uh, Steve Harvey and Oprah, they were really talking about it. They, the ones that really talked about it. And so I read that book and then now I started reading. And then over time, it just evolved from videos um, to kind of transitioning into books and things. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's where I kind of started getting more interest in those things. And then now I'm at the point where I'm trying to develop every day. You know, you look back at like, you know, 18, 19 year old self, and you look at 25 year old self, and you said motivational stuff with the 18 year old be going, I'm not going to read books. I mean, that's how I was at 18. That I wasn't reading anything. Like, you couldn't probably get me to read three books out of a year. <laughs> stuff no, like that. No doubt. Like, um, yeah. No, I, I was never growing up and in high school. I always had that mentality that I wasn't a great reader. Uh, and a lot of people um, looking back, wouldn't probably even believe my when I was in middle school and stuff I've always I had reading problems 
and spelling probably my whole life. I really did. And so for you to tell me, you know, at 18 years old, that I'm going to start reading books. Like that wasn't a mindset. Like that was like, no, I don't read books. I can't read. And that, and over time, you know, the more you dive deep, deeper into successful people is you find out like they all read. And so I think, you know, if I was talking to 18 year olds and 20 years, it doesn't matter what the age to start reading. People think like you got to start and I read a little different. Also, people think you got to finish the book front to back, like, you know, but there's one thing, there's two things with it. Number one, you got to find something interesting, right? If it's not interesting and you're just reading, just you're going to start something. It's like, this isn't gaining my interest. So you're going to stop. So you got to, number one, find something that you truly like. And what I found also is, especially in like self-help books, there's like four golden nuggets or main points that the author is trying to make. Everything else is just saying, giving reasons and back, backing up research of why you should believe this way. Right. Right. Like why you should be happy, what it takes to be loyal, like why be loyal and trustworthy. Like, and then everything else in the book is fluff to kind of, this is why and to sell, like, this is why you should believe this. Well, I don't need to know all your fluff. Just tell me what is your main points and why, like why that's it. Right. So there's times I'll jump. There's times I won't read a full book front to back. Like I'm just trying to dive in, in the moment of like, what am I trying to, what's interesting right now? Sometimes it's sports. So I'm going to go read. If you're reading a, bio, uh, reading a biography, you got to take that front to back because it's a story. If it's self-help, I may flip to chapter six of, you know, how to deal with a dysfunctional team because that's what we're struggling with. So I just need to read this part because that's what's interesting to me right now. So I'm going to read that and really be engaged in that reading because that's what I'm trying to figure out. Now I may read seven pages, done, done for that. I'm good right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. When you're doing that, done. And and over time, you just start gaining interest. And and that's where, for me, reading is like, what are you interested in at that moment? And every day could be different, right? And so I don't always read front to back books um, for the most part. But I just trying to figure out what is interesting to me right now and let me dive in deeper to this and, you know, see what people are saying about it. writing a book and everything, too. I mean, that, that that's an undertaking in itself, because, I mean, you know, I've got into reading probably more after the pandemic started and stuff like that. And just kind of seeing how different people write, how long it takes, how much research. How long was your undertaking w- with this one and just what what sparked that desire to kind of i mean you're already busy with coaching I mean, that's full-time job as it is and then you're going to add off writing yeah. a book on top of that like that that's you know incredible at that point <laughs> yeah no um as i started reading and as actually the pandemic um why i did i wrote the book um now as i started reading um i got the thought of like you know i uh, in the vision of, of, I wanted to have a book. Um, at the time, I didn't know what it was going to be. I had ideas of what I was interested in. Um, and I'm big, like a law of attraction guy, how you think um, in the mindset. And, and so for me, it was a, 
as I started diving deeper into it, um, I wanted something where whoever read it um, could, could relate to it, right? And it was something powerful and meaningful. And one of my favorite books um, that when I first started reading was The Alchemist. Um, and it was just, it was very powerful messages within the reading. So for me, it was like, okay, how can I incorporate my mindset into giving people a powerful message and that can really impact their life if they really like, you know, try to apply it. And, you know, over time it was like, okay, I want that mindset, but I also wanted it to do with something with like the universe and, you know, cause we're all one type deal. And so, you know, the native American came to mind because the native Americans lived outside in teepees and their way of life was outside. They didn't have technology. And so over time, which is kind of, I married the two of, you know, so the book is uh, an educational story of native American and how they dressed and ceremonies and things like that. That's real within a book. Um, and then I just threw in um, some aspects of powerful messages uh, and, you know, a, a, a Tabi, a kid that had some insecurities and he has to overcome some things and finds out that, you know, it's external versus internal problems. And so, you know, but it's very hard to start writing. Um, it's very difficult to, for the flow start to finish on, you know, how you want it to be done. How much research did it take to kind of get the, this one rolling? Because, you know, it, it seemed like a very deep kind of, you know, just like you said, you know, we're all in this, you know, we're one just kind of like, I mean, there's got to be some research, kind of the motivating factors to through there. Just how, how long did the research part take you? Um, it, it took quite a, a bit because you got to know what you're explaining, because when you're writing, it's about, um very detailed, right? You're trying to get the reader to visions what you see, right? So as they're reading this, you're trying to give them something to imagine. And um, that's the toughest part. Um, so you got to kind of do your research to know what it's going to look like, you know, how they dress, what is a scenery going to look like. Um, and Julian, he's that actually helped me with this book also is, um, you know, He's the one that kind of helped me with, because the hardest part is, and for me, I had the main points that I want to get across, the motivating things, the, you know, what's important in certain aspects of a, a conversation. The hardest part is the fill-in. Like I told you, like a lot of authors have like seven key points, three key points that they're really trying to right. get across and everything else, you got to fill in a story. And that was my hardest thing is figuring out, okay, how do I transition um, this message into another message without getting off topic and without getting, and that's the hardest part, but you have to do a lot of research um, to understand more just to visualize what it would look like um, to try and help a reader have the same vision you do. How long did it take you to write the book? And <laughs> what was the most frustrating part of it? Because, you know, I, I know some, a few people that, you know, write books too. And they're like, I just have to walk away or I just throw away everything I wrote that day and said, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I can't do it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it probably took uh, 
like two years of, you know, getting everything together. Um, again, now for me, it was like, just write, sit down and write what you think, what you're, and that's another piece that Julian helped me with. Cause I'm not a English major when it comes to the proper, um, you know, how, how you, how you use the proper English and writing and the aspect of there's a certain writing format. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a, I don't have that degree in that. And so he helped me with that. So for me, he allowed me to just write, like just get what you want on paper, write it down. And so I kind of had like somewhat of a story, but it wasn't perfect. It isn't what it is now <laughs> of the book. <laughs> right. And so as I just write, um, you know, he helped me, he helped me kind of clean it up and um, transition. The transitioning piece is the hardest part. The, the book's name, if people don't know, Emerald Chant. And, you know, the quote in the back, the, the magic begins when you trust yourself enough to take a chance. Like, you know, people will look at that and be like, oh, that's, that's, that's a cool quote. But, I mean, that, that's pretty deep if you kind of sit into that and think about that yeah. a little bit. Just, why was that a, the quote was that the quote you picked out to put on, on on the back of the book and kind of what it you want people to kind of sit there and process instead of like oh that's cool but like once you sit down and think about that like that, you can get pretty deep into that yeah yeah <laughs> and, and you know there's a lot of that um I, i'm more of a deep thinker the um and so the the messages within the book are kind of that way too that if you just sit there, if you're reading it, and I tell people read slow, because it's not about how fast you can get through the book. It's the messages within the book that can really be powerful. That if you like you're saying with that, the magic begins um, when you trust yourself enough to take a chance. Like, that's real. Right. Like, yeah. if you think about like, you got to trust yourself first in this in, in whatever career you want to do. And, and the main thing was to, again, create scenarios as many scenarios in this book as I can where if anybody's reading it it's like man I can relate to that or because that's where you get readers right like yeah. do they feel it can they does it can it's like man I know what that character's feeling movies that's what it is and when you engage the emotional part of people that's the great part of movies books um, that's where they feel they're impacted and so that was the goal and then within it, it was to, you know, get people to understand that living happy, joyful, successful life, like, it isn't about external things. You, like, at the end of the day, it's an internal mindset and how you view anything and everything, right? And so Atabi, the main character, you know, he, he's the grandson of the medicine man of the tribe. And Again, it kind of through nature, his grand the, the the grandfather loses his voice and he loses his power of and so everybody, you know, to restore the harmony of the people looked upon Atabi. Well, Atabi's one of the weakest of the clan. He he has a stuttering problem. Like, and so everybody's like, hold on, we're he's gonna help us and lead us, right? <laughs> yeah. Um and so eventually. He has to be sent out and he, he meets wise people. You know, there's a guy character. My favorite is Bear Cloud in this, um, a character named Bear Cloud. He's a wise guy. 
and he gives very, if you get to that part, um, you know, he's very wise and gives really good um, advice. And so Atabi, he has to find his way through this. People, you know, shame him and people accuse him of stealing. And he's already like, he has to find himself on his journey to helping his clan and his people. Right. And so that's just like everybody in life. We're always trying to find our own self. We're trying to find our way. And now through this, we have mentors. We have people that help us, but we also have people that, you know, will try and back us up and, you know, stop our progression. Right. And, and, and so at the end of the day, you got to overcome things. And that's what a Tabi has to do. And in this book, it's really about understanding that everything comes from within your mindset on how you look at stuff, your mindset of the position you're in, the mindset of where you want to get to. Um, that's first and foremost, the most important thing. And so through this book, um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And the messages, I, I can't um, stress enough that, you know, if you really read it and take in what, what is the point of certain parts of this book, like, I think you will think like, man, like, it's impactful. <clears throat> Where can people find the book? I mean, I know, I know there's quite a few different ways to, you know, get your hands on one, but. Um, Amazon, it's on Amazon. Um, you can get on Amazon and, you know, order. You can do a Kindle copy or a paperback copy. Um, so, so whatever you like, if you like tablets and stuff, you can get it on that. And, and if you like your actual hard book, like myself, um, you can get it in paperback and, but it's on Amazon and it sells. And again, you know, it, it wasn't a lot about, and this is the best thing about reading is, you know, I tell people too, it's like, you got to invest in yourself. And a lot of people say, Oh, I can't read. I can't like, just like we spend money on, you know, if you're on Hulu, if you got HBO, if you got, you know, YouTube TV, um, you know, watch, go into the movies, go like, right. We're willing to spend money on external things of like, Oh, I want to do this, you know, going out, having drinks, whatever. Like my biggest thing is invest in yourself too. Right. Like yeah. invest in trying to better yourself, invest in learning something. And, and so it's not really about <clears throat> the prices of stuff. Cause people are like, Oh, I'll pay this amount for this or it's overpriced. or I'm not paying that much. Well, there's reasons that things are priced at the way they are, right? And, and the best thing about books is you don't even have to know somebody to learn so much for, from that book or from, you know, it's almost like a free mentor. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's just kind of my view on it and investing in people. Uh, so, but Amazon, you can get it. It's available now. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, we had to talk about a little bit Northwest and the, the run that Coach Max got, you know, that group on right now. Just you you were one of the kind of the, the, the first guys that kind of came through and helped kind of set the tone with this. And, you know, throughout this, this year's run, Diego talked a lot about how you and Xavier just kind of were the guys that kind of sold him on that from that Lafayette connection. But just for you to kind of see where this program is and – what they're doing at that level, just what's that like for you to kind of watch this? Cause I know you were in Evansville for that, for yeah. the championship game too. <laughs> um, man, it, it's proud. Like I really am proud of those guys. Um, 
you know, the assistance Mac, and I know Mac gets a lot of credit, which he should, um, but, but those players, you know, he holds those guys to a high standard. Um, the assistants are, are unbelievable. And, you know, this is one of those things where when you get in any organization and they are, they have it where it's like, when you get everybody on the same page mentally of the vision of what we're trying to do and accomplish things, we, at, when I was playing, we, we did, we got to the sweet 16. Um, but the build of our four years, we were always on the same page. We always truly believed like we can get it done. It wasn't a fake, you know, like, man, we can, but we're only winning five games. Like we did, we felt like we were right there. It was just, you know, our last year, Dylan uh, Starzl gets hurt, right? And the Sweet yeah. 16 games were like six minutes into the game. Like, and then Central Missouri ends up going and they win it. Like, and so there was a the next two years after that was, you know, Sweet 16 appearances again. So I always felt when I was there, we were right there to break down the door. You know, we just couldn't get over the hump. And so, but the, the belief that everybody had, and, you know, that's a piece of, uh, Coach Mack's greatest strength is getting people to truly believe and believe in the same vision. And that's what they have going right now. And I think it's, you know, that's a piece of kind of actually development is, you know, as a coach, I can say, hey, this kid needs to be just a cutter. He, he's not a great shooter, but let him just be a great cutter, a screener. Like, how can he imp this game and get us paint touches? Um, but I don't. Maybe it's shooting threes. Well, if a kid thinks like coach won't let me play my game, like I can shoot, I could. If you fight that battle, that's when guys don't develop as fast because they always have that. But coach won't let me coach. If he just lets me do this, if he lets me shoot, I can do it. Well, again, that's prolonged in the development. That's prolonged in the belief and actually winning. That's where he's great at getting guys to truly believe this is where you can impact the game and you can be an elite player at this. And when those kids be like, you know what, like you're right, coach, like I want to be that. Now they're interested in like, I'm trying to be the best at that. And now that's what they, that's what they're trying to do. Right. And so now when you do that and you have eight guys now, probably six, cause he only plays about five guys, <laughs> six guys. He's not right. going deep in the trust. But when you get the same guys, on the that same wavelength of energy like belief you have what you're getting right like there is no fighting back there is no people you watch their bench man and everybody's truly happy for each other as you see like they don't have transfers out he only plays six guys and he don't have trips one i don't even know how maybe two and freaking 10 years like not many you yeah like, i mean you you mentioned so, that but oh go ahead i'm sorry no, I was just saying, but you got Trevor, like, he could have went to Nebraska. He could have went to Georgetown. He could have went to KU. All Power Fives wanted him, and he stays at Northwest, a D2, which he already has player of the year, won national championship, because he's loyal, and he believes in Mac, and Mac believed in him when no one else did. Like, those are the kind of people he gets to, those kind of kids, like, and again, when you put all that stuff together, it's not just one thing. Um, you have what you have now, and that's the success. You mentioned that, you know, he doesn't historically go that deep on the bench, but 
a couple times in this run he had to and you you saw what those other guys could do because you know you look like oh they have to go to the bench what's this going to be like and you had guys just kind of yeah. step in I mean Daniel Abreu in the championship yeah. hadn't played that much in the last several games he comes right in is that part of that belief system too like we know they can play but it's, they step yeah. right in and the moment's not too big for guys that mm-hmm. if they're thrown into it because of foul trouble or whatever it may be they're not afraid of that moment either yeah um and and this is why there's so many things that go into it with them is practice right like just because they play six guys those other guys on the team will not allow oh they're gonna play so i'm just gonna have an okay day right like they will be pushed in practice i'm gonna tell you this like i bet and i watched a few of their practices some of their practices are harder than games because they compete. And But that's a piece of Mac, Coach Mac, getting those guys. It's about competing. It's about you versus you, right? Don't look at external things because you never know when your opportunity is going to come. And if you're not ready for your opportunity when it comes, you may not get another one, right? And so practice is such a high level. And, and they go so hard in practice in the aspect of just – competing versus each other and winning a drill like that is important win and that's what gets instilled like everything you like you got a winner and a loser there is no like oh like you're gonna win and so when those guys when you play at that tempo and that speed every day you get a game you're used to going at that speed it's the kids that go 60 70 percent in practice it's like oh i'm not gonna play anyway so they pick and choose when they want to go well, now you get in the game and you got to go full speed. And it's like, man, I haven't made these decisions at this speed. Hold on. Let me get my feet under you. Well, right. now you're three turnovers deep and you, you're you 0 for 2. You got to come out. Like, you're yeah. not efficient. Like, it's too late. And, and, you know, that's a big piece is like you have to stay prepared if you're on the bench. Right. But again, they have to buy into that. They got to understand, like, I don't have an opportunity right this second. But when my opportunity comes. I'm ready. And you see it with those guys. Um, just like you said, Daniel comes in, had a great game, like impacts the game. You know, Mitch Mascari was yeah. great down the stretch in the postseason. Like, um, I think it may have been the Sweet 16 game. I can't – I'm not 100% sure, but comes in, hits like three threes in the first half. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. And, and so, you know, there's so many things into – what makes them great? Because every, you know, coach is like, what makes him so good? What makes it so – there's so many things. Then you go to the X's and O's part of it. Like, and he's it's, – it's an unbelievable program. I promise you. And I've been – like we talked about at the very beginning, I've been a part of a lot of great coaching staffs. And um, But that is a special place. It really is, man. And it's great and it's fun to be there. What sold you on, on that? Because, I mean – He's talked about it at length about, you know, the first couple of years trying to get the, that footing there. But what sold you on him and the program? Um, his honesty, you know. And I always tell kids now when I recruit is like, you will feel it. Like they're, they're, when you talk to different coaches on the phone, in person, there's a feeling that you're going to have. It's either like, man, like this dude's real, this dude, like he's honest. Like I can feel a good energy and a good vibe from him. Or you're going to be like, 
he's I like what he's saying, but I don't know. Like there's something about him that ain't the one, right? Like that that's not the one. You're gonna force something, and you're gonna just because it may be the highest level or something, and you're gonna force it, and you're gonna be transferring in the year. Um, and so for me, it wasn't about levels. You know, when I came out of high school, my only dot that I really wanted was school was paid for. That was my, I didn't care if it's NAI, D2, D1. I only wanted my school paid for. I didn't want my parents to pay. That was my only goal. Didn't matter where. And, and when he came in, I had a few coaches call and do an in-home visit. But when he came to my house after his press conference and, and how honest he was, um, the, the challenge of everything's earned uh, and all that, like, he built that relationship with Austin Meyer, also the assistant. Like I just had a good feeling. I had a good vibe um, from, you know, I wanted to play for him and that's kind of, it just kind of took off um, from there, but it was all of the feeling. It wasn't like a, cause there was nothing he could sell in the aspect of we won this amount of games, you know, he's never been a head coach before. So what, what can he sell? And for me, it was what you, what we talked about earlier, the belief, like, you know, like, he built that relationship with me where it's like, man, like I want to help him get there. Um, and then that's kind of where it went and I signed with them. You try to hear on this final question. Um, what advice would you give to, you know, they not to be the St. Joe kids and everything, but, you know, kind of the connection there, but at the same time, mm-hmm. what do you give to a maybe freshman that's trying to find their way, whether it's sports and anything else we've talked about along the way, just believing in themselves and trying to find, maybe who they are in the process too. Um, my biggest thing is try to find a mentor, find somebody, find some. And again, when I, when we talk about mentors, they don't have to be in person where I see you every day. We got social media, follow great, like follow motivators, follow people who are life coaches, follow like, um, people that are in psychology, whatever it is that you're trying to do and that you feel interested in, like we can read book biographies and books of people and I can learn their whole life and how they went about it and their mindset. That is a mentor, right? Like, and, and so my biggest thing is find people, find something. It could, again, it could be in person. Maybe you have, you're lucky enough to have a coach or a teacher or uncle, like a family member that can help you mold kind of where you want to think in your mindset. Cause it's hard to just tell a kid like, well, what do you want to do? Like, you know, Oh, just be happy. Well, you got to learn how to do that. Even if you're a happy person, it's a skill every day that you got to make sure you're keeping up with your skills of happiness and development. How do you think, right? I'm kind of a happy guy. I'm energetic guy. And I still have to listen to podcasts. I still have to, you know, listen to motivational speeches, like to keep myself fresh and keep reminding myself over and over. So I would say a young kid, like it doesn't matter who it is or what it is, but there's things out here that you have to find. And it goes back to invest in yourself. Like, no, it's no one's going to do it for you. They will help you. But at the end of the day, if it don't, if you don't have interest in it, and you don't want to get better and you don't want to get to that level internally, you can tell me all the things you want. Oh yeah, coach. I want to do this. I want to play. I want to work. Come on. I'll be in the gym 24 seven. You're don't lie to me. Like, cause we're going to find out like, 
if you lie to yourself just to sound good for other people, that's external things that I'm talking about. You have to truly want to believe in like, I really want this from within. I want to be a coach. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer or I want to think positive more. Whatever it is, it don't have to be a career. It could just be, you know, I, I want a different mindset. Well, if you want a different mindset of happiness and positivity, read things, watch a video on it, like listen to a podcast. It don't matter what it is. They are mentors also, in my opinion. It don't have to be in person. So that would be the advice is, you know, whatever you want to do, find something or someone to mold and try to help you figure out how to get to that. Um, and if anybody listening or someone watches this, like reach out to me, um, email me, at, you know, on the school website, um, you know, my number is 816-262-1031. Like, you know, reach out. I'll gladly to help kids. I'll, and, you know, that's part of it. And so whatever it is, um, that would be my motivation or speech or my advice to them uh, on what to do.